A healthy church is one that is sending out men and women into other parts of the world to declare the gospel of Christ. And in the last two or three years, we have just seen a real surge of men and women sensing the calling of God to engage ministries around the world. Keep these folks in your prayers and be thankful that God is doing this in our midst. Last weekend, we concluded our study of the minor prophets by considering the writings of a man named Malachi. His words, his example, and the response of his audience reminded us that Christian witness is not for the faint of heart. It takes courage to declare God's truth and defend God's truth in a cultural context that has been described as being tolerant of anything but truth, because truth has an inside and an outside. And spiritual courage isn't something that we can pump up. It has to be rooted in spiritual certainty, specifically the knowledge that God does not change. His character and his word are constant. That's what we looked at last weekend. But God's unchanging word affirms something else when the topic of certainty is on the table. It affirms that while we can be certain about God's character and certain about God's care, while we can be certain about God's promises and certain about the goals he calls us to pursue, there are some things about which we will not always be certain. We will not always be certain about what God is up to because his ways are not our ways. His strategies are formed with a much broader understanding of what's going on in us and in the world. His desired outcomes aren't limited to our benefit. They're intended for the benefit of others and the growth of his kingdom. He addresses deficiencies in us that we haven't yet recognized. He addresses needs in others of which we are not aware. He's aware of timing issues that lie outside of our understanding. He's aware some things have to unfold in a very careful sequence if they're going to come to pass. He's often busy setting the stage for things we haven't discerned. He addresses obstacles we haven't encountered yet and haven't recognized. He forges relationships and connections that we wouldn't pursue long before we realize the importance of them. He arranges for favor that we don't currently enjoy. For those and a whole lengthy list of other reasons, those who are certain about God must be willing to embrace uncertainty as they seek to follow his spirit. And that's going to be our focus today. As we make this focus, our text could easily be all of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. But I'm going to read just one verse, Acts 9-6, as nothing more than a jumping-off point and one in a long list of illustrations. 
The words were spoken by Jesus to Saul, who would later be better known by his Greek name, Paul. He had just encountered the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. It blew his world apart. It left him blind. And Jesus said, get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. Last weekend, we considered the courage of certainty. Today, we're going to look at the other side of the coin. We're going to consider the certainty of uncertainty. Let's look to the Lord together in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, I cannot declare your truth on my own. We can't understand it and apply it on our own. We are dependent creatures. We need the work of your Holy Spirit in these moments. So as we pray, each time we find ourselves at this point, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Open our understanding. Enable my proclamation. Empower our responses. And we pray those things, as always, for the honor of Christ entrusted to the church. We pray them for the welfare of God's people, his loved possession. And we pray them for the sake of those who don't yet know Jesus and need the church to be a courageous witness. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. And as we listen for God today, may the Lord be with you. Two weeks ago, we observed my granddaughter Skylar's 14th birthday. And in preparation for her special day, we said, Sky, what would you like to do? And she said, I'd like our family to do a breakout room. Now, she needed to explain that to me. And she said it involves being placed in a locked room that is filled with a series of clues. And you have to navigate through all of the various clues until the final clue reveals the combination on the keypad on the door so that you can unlock that door and exit the room. And you're to do all of this in one hour or less. If you don't do it in an hour, then you fail. Now, she went on to tell us that sometimes these rooms involve handcuffs and blindfolds. And I was, I was glad when she said she wasn't down with all of that and didn't want us to do that. She said, I'd like us to try one called the casino room. So with that, my wife Karen made us a reservation at the casino room. Doesn't sound like a great promotional piece for a pastor, does it? <laughs> Context is everything. And the next day, seven of us headed out McKnight Road. Now, my first experience with the breakout room was parting ways with 120 bucks. <laughs> so we got off to a glorious start. And I was thankful Karen had the foresight to get a group on, because otherwise it would have been 175 bucks, 25 bucks a person. And after I had given them my money, our host explained how things work. It took less than a minute. She simply said, we'll put you in the room. You have to find the clues. And in that room, you need to identify an imaginary spy, an imaginary villain, so that you can thwart an imaginary money drop. And the final clue will reveal the combination on the door so that you can break out. That 
was the extent of our instructions. We weren't told where the clues were located. We weren't told the nature of the clues. We weren't told the sequence of the clues. We were just told, put you in the room, good luck, hope you make it out in an hour. And the one thing that assured us, she said, as your game master, sounds ominous, doesn't it? As your game master, I'll be watching you by a camera, and if you really get stuck, you can ask me for a little bit of help. But I won't give you the clues, and I won't tell you what to do, but I'll give you a yes or no answer if you're barking up the wrong tree, if you're heading in the right direction. And with that, we entered the room. Now what followed as we entered this room that was set up to look like a small casino was an excursion in uncertainty. We immediately saw several locked boxes, but we didn't know which one we needed to open first, and we didn't know the combination, and we didn't know where to find it. And as we're assessing things, looking at every object in the room, reaching under things, around things, pulling on things, tugging on things, my 11-year-old grandson did what all 11-year-old boys do. He began to turn keys, pull levers, press buttons. <laughs> and, and with that, I, I, I shouted at him and said, Rowan, don't do that. You might mess something up and mess up a clue. Too late. Because just as I said it, he pressed the button on an automatic card shuffling machine and all the cards shuffled and then they were dumped out onto the gaming table. And I thought, oh boy, now that's going to mess us up later. <laughs> Little did I know it was the beginning of discovery. <laughs> because as the cards spread out, we quickly noticed three of them were colored differently than the others. They were gold. And we noticed that the one box had a place for three numbers in its combination. And having a firm grasp of the obvious, <laughs> we put three and three together and thought, yeah. So we began entering the three numbers on the cards in different sequences, and the third sequence opened the box, and with that we retrieved our first set of clues. But honey, we were far from a breakout. Because all that first set of clues did was raise a whole new set of questions. And it instigated a new search. And we probed every part of the room till we finally found the second combination. And that opened a door that was hidden to us. We didn't even know it was there. And that revealed the next clue. And so it went. Nothing was obvious. Nothing was easy. Trial and error were the order of the hour. And all the time we're navigating the uncertainty, we kept looking up at the countdown clock that kept reminding us, you now have less time than you had a few <laughs> seconds ago. The next day I was talking to our ministry staff, and I always like to open with something of an impromptu devotional. And it occurred to me that our experience in the breakout room was something of a modern parable of what's involved in following the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's a concept you read about frequently in God's Word, but it's something that 
many people fail to experience in all of its fullness. And as I shared my impromptu observations about our experience being something of a parable of following the leading of the Holy Spirit, I came to the conviction that this is what God wanted for the teaching of this weekend. And I was glad for that because after 12 weeks of wading through people like Zechariah to just have one life experience as the basis for a sermon felt like a week off. <laughs> but I felt God wanted to use our breakout experience specifically to reaffirm the things that we as a congregation and you as individuals need to remember if you're going to effectively follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and pursue the goals that God has set before us and before you. So here are the connections in no particular order. First of all, like the participants in a breakout room, God calls us to specific goals without being specific about the process. He reveals how he wants something to conclude, but he doesn't reveal all of the steps along the way. As he did with Saul in his blindness, he merely points us in the right direction to find our next set of clues. And it's up to us to activate our faith by looking, by listening, by probing, by trying, by talking to others, and all the while talking to God and asking him for discernment, the ability to know what is of God and what's just life and what's just me and what's just somebody else. Second, because God generally isn't specific about process, those who follow the Spirit must be willing to accept mystery, uncertainty, dead ends, delays, and surprises. Now, we experienced all of those inside the casino room. There were times where we had no idea where to look next. There were times we thought we knew where to look, but we were wrong. More than one attempt proved to be a dead end. We spent valuable time on rabbit trails that led us nowhere. And at one point, we were surprised. We were given an instruction on a card that we had to cause light to fall on the eye of the jack. I'm referring, of course, to a jack and a deck of cards. Well, the jack was pictured on the wall, and we saw the source of the light, but we had to maneuver two mirrors so that the light went from one to the other and then landed right on the eye of the jack. And when it landed on the eye of the jack, we were suddenly surprised because the vending machine regurgitated a bunch of coins and a door that we didn't know was there burst open suddenly. And we all jumped and went back to looking. <laughs> Mystery, uncertainty, dead ends, delays, surprises. Those are a part of following the leading of the Spirit. And it isn't because God likes to toy with us and hold out on us. Here you go. Oops. No, that wasn't it. Sorry. It's because 
we aren't ready for what God has for us. And all of the steps along the way are designed to get us ready. And I'm stressing that because people sometimes erroneously think that if a church is following the Spirit, everything should just click into place and be so very, very clear. But I would suggest if the church isn't encountering delays and setbacks and mysteries and surprises and dead ends, it's not following Jesus. It's failing. Because finite people cannot follow an infinite God whose ways are beyond our ways without trial and error and mystery and uncertainty and dead ends and surprises. You see, many times the things we associate with failure are actually the keys to success. Nowhere in Scripture do we see God's people just hunkering down and saying, all right, lay it all out for me, and when it's here, I'm good to go. <laughs> Remember what he said to Abraham. I'm preparing a place for you. I'll show it to you when we get there. Now pack up, sell up, and let's go. Third, the spirit is best discerned in the context of community. Lone rangers struggle to discern the leading of God's spirit. See, inside that casino room, we found strength in our numbers. I realized later there were seven of us. That's the biblical number of completion <laughs> and perfection. Everybody contributed something to our search. Everybody. Some saw something that others didn't see. Some connected clues that others didn't connect. Some discerned a pattern that others overlooked. Some said something that triggered a thought and a recognition. And it quickly became clear that if any one of us had attempted to break out of that room entirely on our own, we would have failed miserably. So I shared that with our staff. One of our staff members said, she had been a part of a group that had attempted one of these rooms and they failed and one of the reasons they failed is halfway through the hour half their number got discouraged and just quit and left it to the other half to try to figure things out and that leads us to the fourth lesson of the parable those who follow the spirit must resist discouragement at one point after we had successfully uncovered four clues and we're feeling like we're in the home stretch, the next clue opened the door into a room where there were two more lock boxes and another riddle. <laughs> and you could almost feel our collective disappointment as we looked in that room and it was like, oh, crap. I I think things like that. <laughs> we thought we were almost done. Here's, here's three more things. We're not going to make it. <laughs> but encouraged by our past success, we pressed on. Fifth, the process of following the Spirit is never easy, but it does get easier. 
As we worked our way through the casino room, we began to get an idea of how things worked. And we began to develop some intuition for the process. And we began to better know what to look for and how to recognize patterns. And with that came greater confidence and increased effectiveness in finding the clues. Now, those same dynamics unfold as you seek to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's not for no reason that Hebrews instructs us to train our spiritual sensibilities through practice. Practice. How do you develop the ability to tell the voice of the Holy Spirit from your own thoughts, the thoughts of others, the world speaking into your life? How do you develop that? How do you learn how to recognize some of the patterns in the Spirit's working? How do you know when a, a barrier is God saying stop or the enemy wanting you to stop? How do you develop those things? Through practice. You can't develop those things by reading somebody else's testimony. I always wished, I, I played hoops in, in college, and I only wished I could jam. <laughs> but I was diagnosed in college as having a terminal case of white man's disease. <laughs> Shortest thing in the world is white hang time. Okay? I, I knew I wasn't going to jam. But if I wanted to jam, I would never develop the ability to do so by reading books on how to jam a basketball. I'd have to practice, practice, leg weights, machinery, yada, 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 until I increase my vertical. Well, the same thing is true in the spirit realm. You can read Abraham's testimony. You can read Paul's testimony. You can read Peter's testimony. You can listen to people in your congregation testify, but that will never enable you to better discern the Holy Spirit. That'll just remind you it's possible. You have to practice. That's why in our recent campaign I said it's about developing your faith more than it is about raising funding for ministry facilities. And that's why I've been sharing the testimonies of those who have engaged it and found through the practice they were learning new things about God and about themselves. You have to practice. Sixth, as we follow the Spirit, the Spirit's eye is continually on us and His counsel is available to us. That game master who is watching, we only consulted her twice. And again, she wouldn't give us clues. She wouldn't tell us what to do next. She would give us yes or no answers. So I think the first question we said, are we trending in the right direction here? Are we barking up the wrong tree? She said, you're good. And the second time we said, Is, are, are we putting this together correctly? And she said a simple yes, and that was it. But, but those two words helped us. But each time we asked, she responded. And I want to remind you, as you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's eye is constantly upon you. You are never out of God's sight. Never. God's eye never diverts from you for a nanosecond. And you can call upon him at any time and ask the question, Lord, 
are, are we moving in the right direction or are we barking up the wrong tree? Now, he won't tell you where all the next clues are and he won't suddenly take you from point A to the destination, skipping all the points in between. He will not do that for you, but he will answer you and give you one of two things, things I pray for very commonly, confirmation in your spirit or a check in your spirit. And a check in your spirit isn't something that's grounded in fear, anxiety, worry, pressure. It's grounded in hearing the voice of God saying, this is not it. And remember, his sheep know his voice. How? Through practice. But again, while God will tell you, you're going the right direction, or this is a dead end, he won't remove the uncertainty, he won't bypass the mystery, and he won't take you all the way to the destination. And here's why. God is more concerned with making us holy than with making our path easy. The reality is, if God is leading you somewhere, it's for a specific kingdom purpose that will be a blessing to you and a blessing to others. But why would God take you there if you haven't developed the things you're going to need once you arrive there? God won't take you somewhere if you aren't ready for it. God won't make your assignment completely and utterly clear if you aren't ready to fulfill the assignment. Because if he puts you in the place and you aren't ready, you're just going to get discouraged. So it's more than God taking you to a place to do a thing. It's about what God is up to in you. See, we make a mistake when we objectify the will of God and make it about doing something or going somewhere or giving something or whatever. Ultimately, the will of God is the expression of his love for his people. And ultimately, it's more about you becoming everything he had in mind when he created you as a unique individual. It's more about you than it is the task, the assignment, or the ministry. So God doesn't rush the process or bypass it. Now, in case you're wondering how we did, we secured the final clue and opened the door after 50 minutes and 17 seconds. <laughs> we had almost 10 minutes to spare. And, and the game master greeted us and said it was one of the best results ever for the casino room. And, and I really attribute that to my daughter Autumn and her roommate Lindsay. Because while we all contributed something, they contributed more than the rest of us. They, they just had the, the right kind of wiring to discern that. Uh, my dear wife Karen, on more than one occasion, was heard to say, how'd you figure that out? How'd you get that out of that? While we were moving on to the next thing. But that moment that we broke out reminded me of one final spiritual application. I often hear people talk, believers, talk about their desire to see a breakout of the Holy Spirit or to see the Holy Spirit 
break out in their church family. And usually what they're referring to is they're, they're weary of reading about other people's experiences of the power of God. They want to have their own experience of the power of God. They want to see God's presence and God's power manifested in their church, in their life, in their community. And that is a good passion, a good hunger, a good desire that the Spirit of God puts within us to motivate us. But sadly, sadly, many people fail to see the breakout because they aren't willing to engage the long process of uncertainty that leads up to it. See, many times when, when the Spirit breaks out, I mean, it's not like the Holy Spirit was never there, and it's not like the Holy Spirit was ever confined, but for lack of a better term, when the Holy Spirit breaks out, we tend to think of that as a sudden moment of visitation from God. It's usually the culmination of people who have been willing to work their way through the clues and through the lessons and through the preparation and through the practice and through the development until they're in the place where God can trust them with the breakout. The Holy Spirit's never contained. He's breaking out all the time. The issue is, are we ready to receive his breakout activity in our life? And you can't be ready if you bypass the process. And yet people attempt to do it all the time. They want easy breakouts. They want instant breakouts. They want it to come as a result of some special event. I, I always am leery when I hear people say, we're going to get together and we're going to pray until we see a breakout. I think, well, you've got to get together and you've got to pray. But if I had to bet money, I don't think you've got to see a breakout. Because, you see, you can't, you, you can't manipulate God and tell him when the breakout happens. Okay. Oh, Lord, we got together and prayed for two hours. Wonderful. But you're not ready. You want me to do what you're not ready for me to do. And I love you too much to do that. So I'm glad you prayed. Uh, that's a step on the way, but it's not that easy. Other people want it to come as a result of some special event. We've got to hold a Holy Spirit seminar, and God's going to break out in this place. Others hope the ministry of some individual will bring it about. So uh, they pay somebody an exorbitant fee, to come in and peddle the anointing of God as if renewal is in their suitcase. And that person comes in and makes all kind of promises, we're going to see you, and it generally is smoke and mirrors and there's not much substance to it. But they leave town wealthy, and they leave behind a group of God's people who are disappointed. History makes it clear, most breakouts, for lack of a better term, most breakouts of the Spirit come when God points his people in a general direction, as he did with Saul, and they respond by breaking out of their fear, breaking out of their doubt, breaking out of their uncertainty, and breaking out of their need to control things. The need to feel like you're in control is a barrier to following the Holy Spirit. If you're a control freak, 
you're going to really struggle to follow the leading of the Spirit because God will call you to things you do not control to make it clear you aren't in control so that you rest in the fact that He's in control. To see the breakout, you have to abandon your love of predictability and certainty. Well, I don't like to go if I don't know how it's got to end. Well, sit down. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> we have to set aside our passion for shortcuts. Is there a quick way? No. No, there isn't a quick way. If you understand what's involved, how could there be a quick way? And you have to be willing to engage the long, often challenging, perplexing journey of following the Spirit's clues to their final conclusion. In matters of the Spirit, those who embrace and understand the certainty of uncertainty are the people who are most certain to see the Spirit break out in their life and in their ministry. See, one of the things God wants to bring you to, he wants you to come to the place where all of your confidence is in him rather than the things he shows you, the things he reveals, or even the things that he does. My dad love to tell this story. It's a true story, and I'll close with it. A pilot of a single-engine plane went down in the Amazon of Brazil. All of his navigation equipment was destroyed in a crash. He had no idea where he was, so he knew he was in, in dire straits. And after an hour of contemplating his situation, not knowing which way to turn, I mean, he could, he could discern from the sun something of direction, but he didn't know what direction he should go in. Where was the nearest settlement? And he was pondering all of that. He heard a rustling in the bush, and an indigenous, indigenous tribesman from the area emerged. He had studied at a missions school as a boy and spoke fluent English. And he informed the pilot, he said, there is a fishing village on the river about two hours from here in that direction. I can get you there, and from there you can get a boat upstream, and, and you can get to the next developed town, and from there we'll be able to get you home. And with that, he began to follow the native. But as he's following, he's noticing there's no path. There was no indication that any human being had ever walked where they were walking. And so the native guide was using his machete to just clear the way for virtually every laborious step. So after a while, doubts settled in. And the pilot couldn't contain himself any longer. And he said, sir, excuse me, do you really know where we're going? Because I don't see any way. And his guide said, sir, there is no way. I am the way. Follow me. And that's what Jesus says when he calls us to follow his leading. Don't look for the path because you're unique and nobody's been here before. <laughs> there is no way. I am the way. Follow me. Let's pray together.
as I close in prayer, if, if you're a believer and God has spoken to you about something specific, and he's always specific. We're vague. He's specific. Deal with that matter right now before you get out of here. Because scripture says, today if you hear his voice, respond. And even though I didn't present today what's classically called the, the path to faith in Christ, the way of salvation, I, I know that God can take any message and speak to any heart that needs it. And perhaps in talking about all the uncertainty, God has spoken to somebody who has hesitated to put their trust in Jesus because they have so many questions. Well, if that describes you, let me say, Jesus isn't going to answer all your questions. He's going to introduce you to some new ones. But he will answer the big questions about who you are, who he is, why you're here, and where you're going. And if you're persuaded of that and want him to be your savior, all you have to do is ask him to do that thing right there where you are in the quietness of your heart. Ask him to forgive the fact that you've lived your life without him. Ask him to forgive your sin. Confess your belief in his resurrection. And ask him to change your heart and make you a child of God. And he will do all of that. And he'll answer the big questions and introduce you to the ones you want to be focused on. Father, in a world of shortcuts, empty promises. You don't take your cues from the culture, but from your character. You do what we need, not what we want. You answer our prayers the way you would have prayed them, not the way we pray them. Help us to embrace the certainty of uncertainty for all who would follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Whether it's corporately, as we navigate parking garages and buildings or individually as we navigate the challenges of our family and our workplace and help us to know the shepherd well enough that we'll know his voice and follow him and i pray these things in jesus name amen